How's it going? I'm really excited today. I'm here with Ben Conniff. Ben is the co-founder of Luke's Lobster, which is serving the world's best seafood transparently sourced directly from fishermen committed to sustainable practice. Thanks for being here today, Ben. How's it going? Thanks for having me. It's going okay. Awesome. awesome. Well, let's kind of jump right in. I think one of my favorite, kind of one of the most unique parts of your stories, uh, you and Luke actually met through Craigslist uh, and kind of the founding story there. You want to kind of tell everyone a little bit about that and kind of what, what your thought process was at the time? Yeah, that's right. I had uh, I had worked for a couple of years to try to break into the media industry through uh, some magazine internships and radio internships and freelancing, but I always found myself wanting to close my computer and start cooking. Mm-hmm. So I, I realized that, you know, maybe writing or media wasn't for me and, and a restaurant job was. So I jumped on Craigslist just looking for any job I could find in a restaurant to get my foot in the door. And I found a post from a guy who is my age who had been a lobsterman and was doing a brief stint in finance in New York City, but missed home mm-hmm. and needed help to start uh, his dream business, which was uh, an authentic Maine lobster shack in New York. Um, so we met up in a coffee shop and it just, it just clicked and we just decided to go for it. And six weeks later, we'd signed the lease, built out a restaurant and opened, wow. uh, which is totally insane. We know now, but we didn't know any better then. So we just didn't sleep and, and made it happen. Yeah. So I guess at the time, were you thinking like, I want to be an entrepreneur and like, I really want to kind of co-found business and really get this going or were you, like, was it just kind of one thing led to the next or what was your thinking? No, I was uh, probably would have been voted least likely to start a business in high school or college. Uh, it was never something on my radar. I just wanted to work with food because uh, that was really my passion. So, you know, I thought we'd be lucky if we could make one restaurant work and survive because most restaurants don't. Right. Um, so I never would have thought that we'd be able to expand so quickly and have this bigger vertically integrated business that we have now that, uh, that would never have crossed my mind when we first started. Wow. Yeah. So kind of in those first six weeks, kind of from first meeting and then kind of getting the location, what was all kind of what was going through your mind at that time in terms of like, kind of, did you have goals set for like first day or like first month or anything like that? Um, basically our goal was to be open October 1st mm-hmm. uh, and, and we didn't really know what was going to happen beyond then, but just, you know, just to get open 30 days after signing the lease was uh, such an intense and unrealistic process that it was, it was all consuming. Uh, and I just, honestly, I found that to be one of the most stimulating moments of my life really before or after, because I was learning a million new things all at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I'm, you might say I have a little bit of, uh, of an attention deficit, <laughs> maybe not diagnosable, but I don't have any time focusing on one thing. So to have a million things thrown at me all at once and have to just go figure it out. Yeah. Um, I really enjoyed that challenge. So I was running all over the city, visiting various you know, departments of buildings, departments of health, reading up on, how the whole system works, talking to my neighbors about which contractors they used and what was important for a health inspection, um, and then figuring out how to hire a team too. So it was nonstop movement, um, not much time to take a step back and question what mm-hmm. I was doing. Uh, just needed to kind of forge ahead in order to meet that goal of opening October 1st. 
was there anything really surprised you during that time? Kind of with so much going on and so many moving pieces, um, something that really stood out? Um, I think the one real positive that stood out is coming from outside the restaurant industry. Um, it can have a reputation of being cutthroat and competitive. And that was not the case at all. Uh, I found very quickly that restaurants are just an amazing and supportive community for one another. And being the new kid on the block just meant that the folks who were there, Caracas Arepa Bar and Porchetta, um, just wanted to help any way they could and give me recommendations and give me support and, and realize that uh, on that block, it was going to be a rising tide floats all boats scenario. Um, and, and we all ended up doing better because we had such strength of different brands there. Um, I think the negative surprise was just how asinine some of the red tape in the city is around, you know, having to get permits for things that should not require permits um, and just the little minutia and really the fact that they seem to intentionally make it impossible to navigate without hiring somebody who used to work at the Department of Buildings to guide you through it, uh, which sort of creates this whole sub-industry of expediters, um, which wouldn't be necessary if they would just give you some clarity on what the rules were and how to get the permits. Yeah, I feel like that must have been really frustrating, especially kind of the tight timeline and probably a pretty strict budget too in terms of just getting everything done. Um, uh, just just pacing the halls of these buildings and ripping my hair out. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's just silly. Yeah, I, I did love the line you said there about kind of rising tide lifts all boats. So it's just super applicable to be like seafood industry and everything that you're doing. Um, did you have experience working like like did you love seafood before? I know you mentioned that you love to like cook and like that part it was like, you make lobster for fun or kind of like, what was that part of it like? Yeah, I, um, I was the weirdest kid in that I was an incredibly picky eater. I didn't eat very much at all, but anything that came out of the ocean was good for me. I, I would eat any seafood whatsoever. Uh, and I grew up when we had a chance, I lived in Connecticut, but we would try to get up to Maine every couple of summers and rent a little house on the coast in five islands. Okay. So that was just down the street from one of uh, one of the best little lobster shacks that's right on the dock at a lobster co-op. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got to see lobstermen go in and out, understand a little bit about that industry from, from the time I was a little kid and then eat the food right there fresh off the dock. So that kind of image and memory came back very quickly to me when I started talking to Luke about what he was trying to achieve in New York. Yeah. Uh, it's cool to kind of have that kind of parallel experience in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. and so what was that moment like when you kind of realized that, okay, we're actually, you know, we could scale this, you know, we could open another location, um, whether it's kind of that second location or when you moved into like new cities, kind of what was kind of, kind of going on in your mind and at that time? Yeah, you know, I think it was a month or two in when we realized, you know, we didn't just have like a big pop on opening day, but that it was sustaining and we were getting a lot of repeat business. Mm -hmm. We realized that the model had legs, the, the product and the story resonated with people um, and we were doing a good enough job that they came back. So if that was true in the East Village, then that would probably be true in other neighborhoods and eventually other cities. Um, so probably around, around you know Christmas, New Year's, Lou started talking about 
needing to find a second location. Uh, I thought he was completely insane because I was working 110, 120 hours a week and he was working his day job still and then having to come help out at the restaurant afterwards. Um, and, you know, things were far from perfect. Uh, so uh, at first I thought it was a little crazy, but I think he had the right idea, which was, you know, we need to strike while the iron's hot, while people are talking about us, interested in us, grow, take the momentum, move it forward, create new opportunities for our team, mm-hmm. who were honestly, um, you know, all overqualified for what they were doing and ready to take more responsibility if I could let go and start thinking about a second location. Um, and I, I think, you know, we opted for this idea that, you know, when you're doing something good, it's better to expand it and do more good than it is to wait until everything is a hundred percent perfect because you'll never get there and you'll just end up stagnating. Yeah. Um, so kind of, you mentioned the team. Sometimes. How do you kind of find the right people? What was that part of it? Like kind of, you know, what do you, what were you looking for in some of those first kind of hires at the store and then at the second location and kind of what, what kind of drew you to them or them to you? Yeah. I, I did all that hiring on Craigslist. Wow. Um, and, you know, we were looking for a team that could stand on the line and make lobster rolls, which is basically toasting a bun and putting lobster in it and then talk to a guest and punch their order into, uh, you know, into a register. Mm. So it was, it was a very simple job. Technically, we didn't need a chef. We didn't need anybody with restaurant experience per se. Mm-hmm. So it was really just about spending time, you know, at a coffee table face to face with somebody for an hour and just trying to get a read on whether they were genuine Mm -hmm. and friendly and hardworking. Mm -hmm. So uh, I definitely didn't rush it. There were people that I liked that I didn't hire. uh, And I ended up bringing in, I think eight people initially who just really felt like they were going to enjoy the job. They were going to enjoy the time they would spend together shoulder to shoulder. They'd enjoy talking to customers and they'd enjoy, you know, talking about sustainability and the main source of our seafood. And, you know, if they could get passionate about that, mm-hmm. then, you know, it didn't matter if they were restaurant people or, or anything else, you know, if they were passionate about our product and what we were doing and, and they enjoyed spending time in the restaurant with each other, then, then they would be good. And, and that was how it played out. Two of those first hires are in, you know, some of our top leadership positions in the company now, 11 years later. Mm-hmm. It's awesome kind of that they had that growth from that first shack with you kind of to where you are now. Um, I guess kind of now, obviously, your day to day is completely different than it was back 11 years ago. Um, but I guess one of the things that you kind of mentioned there was sustainability. And I want to talk a little bit more about kind of that. Is that something that, um, you know, were you passionate about that before starting Luke's Officer? Is that kind of Kind of how does that play with Luke's officer and like the amazing seafood that you deliver? Yeah, it was something that I had really gotten into in those couple of years after college. Mm-hmm. Um, I somehow managed to make it through four years at a very liberal college without developing an understanding of food sustainability. Um, so it really hit me right after college. I read Michael Pollan and I started realizing the importance Uh, of sustainability and food and the interconnectedness of it all. And the fact that the food we eat is, you know, 
likely the biggest, if not one of the biggest culprits in the damage we do to the environment. Um, you know, at that time I was also beyond broke. Um, and so I was thinking about the, the challenges of sustainable food being, you know, a rich person's hobby as opposed to uh, something that's really a, a priority for everyone and made accessible to everyone. So coming into a conversation about a lobster business, uh, sustainability was at the forefront of my mind, knowing that Maine lobster is one of the most sustainable foods you can eat and has kind of led the way in seafood sustainability since the 1800s. Um, but also making that product more accessible than it traditionally has been. And we went with a $14 lobster roll and a $7 shrimp roll. And, you know, well, that's not the cheapest lunch you could ever get compared to what you could get lobster for elsewhere in the city at the time. That was revolutionary. Yeah. Um, and still, you know, being able to get that lobster roll at today's price is under $20. Um, people just didn't have access to sustainable seafood that was high quality for less than $20. I mean, for less than $50. Right. Right. So that was, um, that was really important to us back then. It was a founding principle and it remains important today. Yeah. And I think it's super interesting because I think at least when I think of lobster, I think when most people think of lobster, you think, you know, you're at a very fancy restaurant and it costs so much money and it's a huge and it's been in a tank for who knows how long. It's kind of like logistically kind of, how do you kind of handle, like, it has to be fresh, uh, like all of those sorts of things, especially in those early days where maybe you didn't know what, how, like what supply or demand would be kind of on like a day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week basis. How did you kind of handle that? Yeah. The, the biggest uh, mistake that people make when they think about lobster is that for it to be quote unquote fresh, it has to be pulled out of a tank in front of you and cooked right there. Mm -hmm. That's in a lot of ways, the worst way to have it, unless you're literally having it at a lobster dock in Maine, where it was just pulled out of the water. Otherwise, you're taking this live animal and you're throwing it in crates, putting it in trucks, transporting it for however long, taking it out, putting it in a tank in the middle of New York City or Washington, D.C. or San Francisco, having it sit in that tank for God knows how long after that, it's been out of its habitat that whole time. It's not eating its natural diet or experiencing, you know, the natural movements that it would in the ocean. So it's, it's deteriorating, it's consuming its own fats and proteins. And what you're gonna get when you finally cook that lobster is something that's very light on flavor mm -hmm. uh, and without the greatest texture. So the way to do it, which is sustainable, humane and the highest possible quality is to cook this lobster as soon as you can out of the ocean. Mm -hmm. So that is the essence of the lobster processing industry, mm -hmm. which, you know, really grew up first in Canada. And then Luke's father, Jeff, was the first licensed lobster processor in Maine a few decades ago. So what that means is you take that live lobster direct from the docks into a facility in Maine and you cook it immediately. You cook it to exacting specifications, size graded so that every piece that's of a certain size cooks together so you don't overcook some, undercook others. And it gets cooked to that perfect time and temperature, chilled immediately, and then either refrigerated consistently or frozen through a liquid nitrogen technology, which is state-of-the-art freezing that 
is you can't even imagine how much better than just putting it in your freezer at home because it freezes down below zero degrees in 10 to 15 minutes as opposed to over the course of a day. So the effect on the tissue of that lobster is minimal compared to typical home freezing. That way you get your product in its highest quality and then you can handle it, ship it all efficiently you can reduce your footprint and you can do it in a way that your supply chain can be managed so that every guest who orders a lobster roll has a consistent, absolute highest quality product and isn't reliant on, you know, the state of that lobster for however long it's been sitting in a crate, in a truck, in a tank. Wow. Wow. It's amazing. I didn't know any of that. And uh, thank you for sharing because it's pretty amazing kind of to think how different that is from like the, when you think lobster, you think, oh, take it out of a tank um, there. And I know kind of running low on time and want to be respectful. So just kind of two more questions. Um, one, obviously now um, kind of you've kind of the business is a little bit different with kind of the vertical integration piece. What's kind of been um, either kind of the thing you've been most excited about recently in terms of what you've been doing there? Like how, how has that kind of impacted the business? Yeah. Um, what we've been most excited about recently is our new online market. Mm -hmm. Now we're able to ship our seafood to all 48 states. And I think now Hawaii and Alaska as well, uh, shipping overnight, mm -hmm. taking orders online. So it's drastically expanded our reach within the country. You know, we, we're only in 10 cities. And so there are only certain people who are geographically able to try our food. Now we can reach you anywhere in the US, which is fantastic. And it's also allowed us to bring in other seafoods that weren't part of our supply chain in our tiny little restaurants. We only serve lobster, crab, and shrimp rolls and chowder, basically. Now we've been selling uh, fresh day boat scallops and fresh Maine farmed oysters, uh, bluefin tuna from the docks of Maine, halibut in season in the spring and summer. And so it's really allowed us to support a wider swath of the marine economy here in Maine mm -hmm. um, to promote diversification along the coast. So we're not entirely reliant on just the lobster supply chain. Now we can encourage fishermen to get out there and get a diversified income stream. Um, we're working with kelp farmers, our partners at Atlantic Sea Farms, who encourage lobstermen in their kind of off season to go plant kelp farms and harvest kelp. and bolster their uh, their income that way. Kelp is, I hate to say it, but even more sustainable than lobster. It cleans the ocean. It has no inputs whatsoever. Um, so, so there's a lot that we can do with this online market platform now. And we've been able to partner with great companies and great nonprofits like the Island Institute to help promote this and make the coast stronger and more resilient in the middle of COVID. Yeah. And it really helps us, you know, we have our facility here where we, we process, as I mentioned before, um, but we can now take advantage of that facility to not just send seafood to our restaurants, but to pack products for grocery stores like Whole Foods and now to ship direct to consumers. And so it's, it's made us a, a more diversified business and allowed us to reach way more people with sustainable seafood. Yeah, that's awesome to hear, especially kind of like the ripple effects of all, like the impact of all that from all the people fishing to everyone consuming, everyone who's working in the stores and all of that. Um, yeah. then, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and then, you know, the other thing that's really exciting is we're now in our, in our third year of being a certified B Corp. And yeah. what that really means is looking at all of those stakeholders, all the people that your product touches, as well as the environment, mm -hmm. and looking at your impact as a business and making sure that 
the end of the day, it's a positive impact where so many businesses, if they are honest about it, are, are leaving a negative footprint in a lot of ways. So being a certified B Corp along with such a great community of other businesses helps us channel our efforts and make sure that we're leaving the world a better place every day we exist. Yeah, that's, that's so beautiful. And it's really, it is really true kind of how when you like, do, are doing good and have positive impact in so many different places, kind of the impact that that has overall. Um, and kind of last question for you, kind of, if you could go back to kind of when you first to kind of met Luke and walked into that Starbucks and kind of sat down after meeting on kind of Craigslist, um, what would you tell yourself at the time? Like, what do you wish you knew or what would you, for your book or some like, thoughts that you've had since then? That's a great question. Um, I think, I think what I would try to get ahead of the most, if I knew it back then, is just um, creating better resources for my team uh, as we grew. I think you'll find if you run a growing business over a span of years, sometimes you grow faster than your team is ready for, and you haven't created, let's say, the, the training programs that they need to keep up. So suddenly you're not there because you're bouncing around three different cities, five different cities. Uh, and then you're trying to introduce new policies to improve your impact on the environment or to just improve your product or to, to launch something new that your guests seem to want. But you don't have a strong training program. You don't have a culture of training and learning established in your company yet mm -hmm. because you're still so young. So I think the first thing that I would do um, if I knew better is start writing things down, start creating better uh, training systems, better learning systems and better communication systems for my whole team mm -hmm. so that we always stayed better connected and on the same wavelength throughout these past 11 years, as opposed to going through these growing pains where we, we grew and then our, our systems had to catch up. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because I feel like everyone's always like growth, 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 growth. And I guess I can totally see how sometimes like some of those details and systems kind of fall by the wayside when that happens. Yeah, there's a sense, you know, people in the beginning start to say, oh, this feels corporate. Mm -hmm. And we we're always shy about that. Uh, but the real answer is what this is, is supporting you, protecting you, allowing you to do your job in a way that's well prepared. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's not it's not for us. It's so that you come to work knowing what's expected of you and knowing how to succeed. Um, and we know we're not setting you up to fail. So some things that might seem corporate on the surface, you know, they're really there for the benefit of the team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely interesting kind of different perspective on that too. Um, awesome, thank you so much for your time. If there's anything else you wanna add, feel free. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to listen uh, and to you know, listen to some of the other ones you're doing too. Seems like a great, uh, great series. Awesome, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah,